0: Good morning, everybody. It's my first time speaking with a parade coming by, so we'll, uh, we'll hope maybe we'll keep the door open. They could come in here, too. But for those of us who are here already, I encourage you to, to grab, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, or you can follow along in the back, where it be in Psalm 73. This is a psalm that's my favorite. I grew up just down the highway, a place called North Vancouver. I don't know if any of you have been there uh, there was a preacher there by the name of Brian Bueller, who was uh, instrumental in my development as, um, as a man, as a, as a Christian. I grew up um, in a family that faith, we were Christian-ish, so uh, my mom you know, believed that we should, be, we should come to church. Um, I, I always say that growing up, though, I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to church every single, every single Sunday, and it was a problem for me. You can still see my heel marks on the concrete at North Shore Alliance Church, where I grew up. Uh, just off the Lonsdale exit there. And, uh, and Brian was, uh, or Pastor Brian, I should say, was preaching a message one day and he was in Psalm 73. And he just said, he just stopped and he just looked and maybe he was staring right into my soul and said, uh, You youth, and there was a bunch of us sitting in one section, he said, You need to know this. If, there, if you want to endure in your faith, you need to emblazon Psalm 73 on your heart. And, uh, and I just, I don't know why he, it was th- that's what I heard. And it got me through, by the grace of God as well, <laughs> but uh, it got me through my 20s, still in the church, got me through my 30s, and now as I face the challenges of adulting with kids and life and, and you know, getting through it all, uh, it's social media, getting through social media the world, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's Psalm 73 is our, is our text. So even though it was written some, you know, thousands of years ago, it's still so relevant to us today. It's been, it's been uh, a text that's meant so much to me. I hope it'll mean so much to you, and we'll find out uh, as God leads us uh, through this time. So one of the things that I mentioned, just like with social media, I'm, you know, there's many things that maybe we're not alike, but one thing that we are alike, I can assure you, is that we're all trying to figure out, is social media a good thing? Now maybe you are somewhere on the spectrum where you've gone all in, uh, and maybe your business depends on social media, or your social life depends on social media, or you're all out, and you're just like, no, I don't care about it, but... It's it's here. It's part of our society today, and I can't figure out if it's a good thing or a bad thing. One thing I love that it uh, it helps me uh, in my my friend group chat. Um, you know, we have like group chats. Do you get do guys have that where you share stuff that you would never share publicly, but you have a couple of friends that you just share the the best memes or videos or whatever it is. and that's just like if you, if anyone ever knew the things you were sharing. You know, if your mom found out that you were sharing these videos with each other or your f- f- co-workers or whatnot, like this is just the stuff that's a little edgy, right? That you might get canceled if, you, if your friends found out. That's the group chat. And that, that all, all that hilarity or edginess comes from social media. Uh, connections. So we, we got a chance to travel as a family. We posted pictures to our friends and our family so I didn't have to send a text to my mom, my grandma, my aunt, my uncle, cousins, and my wife's side. We just used social media and we were able to post pictures and then they were able to follow us along as we were on our trip. That's a really good thing. Uh, Keeping in touch with old friends. It's nice to know what people are are up to so we don't have to be calling everybody and finding out how they're doing. But then there's the other side of social media that, you know, the research is coming out that this is becoming uh, an addictive tool that people are using and uh, it's leading to depression. I have three daughters that will eventually be... uh, asking for social media, wanting to see, having their own accounts, they're not there yet. Uh, They're eight, six, and four. So I don't know their names anymore, but uh, I know they're eight, six, and four, and then it stopped after COVID. Uh, But but like the four-year-old is already asking for her own phone, okay? So eventually, I'm going to have to figure out like, what do I do with my kids and social media? Some of you are, are light years ahead of, you've already figured out that, but we're all somewhere on the spectrum But one thing that we can't deny is that there's something about social media that gets us comparing ourselves to each other. Uh, This is a picture of my family there because uh, we we, we stood in that field one day because my wife called the photographer and said, hey, I'd like my friends and family to see what it's like when we all dress up and stand in a field. (laughs) We'd like to show our friends this. We'd never have done this before. We don't usually go out into fields. We don't get all ready. Um, I do remember that just prior... To this uh, this photo being taken, there was a huge meltdown. Uh, one of my daughters, the Grace, uh, you can maybe go back. I'll just show you Grace for a second. Uh, Grace, she hates anything in her hair. Those pigtails, particularly, were a huge fight. And I was like, "You're going to stain the your your face with tears if you keep and your your faces are going to be, all be red." And then Abby on the right didn't like that she didn't get to wear a dress. She really wanted to wear a dress. Why did Lucy, the one on the top? See, I'm remembering their names now. It's coming back to me. Uh, <laughs> Lucy's the one I'm holding. And this was, uh, this was our family uh, 30 minutes after a complete meltdown, okay? And I, I kind of was, uh, you know, my friends were like, oh, that's such a great picture of your family and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, they like it, they comment or whatever. I'm just like, you have no idea what it's really like. See, I have the backstage pass to our life, but other people just see what we put forward. And that, there's, a, there's a disconnect there. I, I, if you zoom in on me just a little bit there, you can kind of see, like a little bit in there, you could see that 30 minutes ago there was a huge family meltdown. And so because people don't really look at me when they look at pictures of my family, you don't really see it. Uh, a, a better picture, you can go to the next one, is, is more of what it's like to have uh, three kids under six. I like this one because you're being torn in every single direction. Um, I've heard that parenting is the act of making uh, easy things difficult. Right? Parenting is the act of making easy things difficult. Those of you who are parents, you know what this is like, right? Before we had kids, my wife and I, when we wanted to go out for eat to eat somewhere... We'd say, would you like to go out for eat? And we'd look at each other. That's a great idea. Let's go out to eat. And so we would just put on our shoes put, you know, and, and walk out, and we would go somewhere to eat. And now that we have three kids, we don't really uh, know what we're going to do. Are we going to make it even to the restaurant? How long is it going to wait? Are we going to get the food? Are there, is there going to be a meltdown with the kids? Eating is just very difficult. Are they going to eat what we order for them? Or are they going to want to eat something else? And are they going to cause a big stink in the whole uh, restaurant? COVID was actually wonderful because we got the same experience of going out to eat while they're at home. All we did was just Threw all the food on the floor and then uh, and burned 100 bucks and just like and it's like oh it's just like going out to eat it's perfect. (laughs) Eating is difficult when you have kids. How about um, sleeping? When we before we had kids and my wife and I wanted to sleep, we would just go to sleep. Just are you tired? Yes, I'm tired. Let's go to sleep. And now we have to start this hour and 30 minute parade, uh, which we're going through all this list of things to do, making sure people are wearing clothes, pajamas, brushing their teeth, all this stuff. And we never know what's going to happen because we think by the time we lay our heads on the pillow it's time to go to sleep but it's not we, we don't know the adventure's just beginning right and before kids we would kiss each other good bed uh, good night sorry and now we kiss each other good luck right that's the difference <laughs> even getting dressed i used to think you know i would just pick out some clothes and then my wife would send me back to the closet to pick out different clothes but it was pretty easy right I just we just put clothes on and we walked around and went about our day and now getting dressed is a huge Issue. It's like I have uh, fears of getting dressed in the morning because I, I can barely dress myself, never mind three people, three other people that can barely dress themselves. And then to present ourselves to the world, it's difficult. And sometimes I don't get it right, I'll be honest with you. As a father of, uh, of three daughters, I am a minority in a small sorority. <laughs> and I don't know how to dress those little creatures. Getting dressed used to be so easy when it was me and then bringing them along. One day we were at... Um, we're getting ready for church, actually, and I picked an outfit for my daughter before we had to pass, you know, the boss's inspection with my wife there. She looks at me and she says, Dad, how come I have to wear this dress? How come some girls get prettier dresses than I do? What would you say? I, have no, I had no idea. But I looked at her, my dear oldest daughter, I kissed her on the forehead, and I said, Honey, I have no idea why. But that's a great introduction for Psalm 73, (laughs) a text that I've been very familiar with my whole life, and that you need to understand how to avoid the comparison trap. Social media does it, but if you're not a social media person, if you've ever pulled up to a light and seen someone else's car a little shinier, a little newer, a little better, and said, I want that thing. If you've ever seen somebody's picture and said, I want that instead of what I've got. If you've ever seen someone's house or been somewhere else and said, I would like to have that instead of what I've got. If you've ever... Worn a dress and said, I wish, other, I, wish I could have prettier dresses than, than, uh, like these people have. Psalm 73 is a great text for you. Let's look it up together. We'll read through the text. And we're going to look at two things. The first thing I'll see, uh, if you look at Psalm 73, it says a psalm of Asaph. It says a psalm of Asaph. And so m- most of us don't know who Asaph is. Uh, it, it doesn't really, he doesn't come up in our daily conversations, in our lives. So I'll just say this. Asaph was a worship leader. You've seen worship leaders before, people who lead God's people into the presence of God as they sing songs, and, uh, and, and their job is to, you know, to, to make much of God. And that's Asaph's job during the time of David. And so David gets credit for a lot of these psalms, but Asaph got a little opportunity to write his own story in there. So uh, he's a bit like us in that he's very spiritual. So here you are on a Sunday morning on a long weekend, right? Jesus was never clear when he said, the poor you'll have with you always. Just look at any church on a long weekend. That's us, right? The, 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 the most committed to being Christians or to learning about Jesus. I mean, if you're not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the fact that you're here means you have some spiritual inkling to you, right? You want to be here on a Sunday morning instead of there in a parade. Well, maybe you want to be with the parade, but you're here anyways. But either way, Asaph had a spiritual side to him, but he was also very human. If Asaph had a social media account, he would be like that person, like I mentioned, that's always comparing themselves to other people. We know this because this is a pre-social media, but still in the time of uh, comparison, which shows me Asaph is a little bit like you and me. So a psalm of Asaph, he says this in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. You would see many worship leaders say that, and, uh, and many you know, anyone who knew the Bible would say that. So, Nothing really controversial there. God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. But then here's the crisis in his story. Asaph said, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, their evil conceits of their minds knew no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how can God know does the Most High have knowledge? I'll pause there for one moment and just kind of summarize what Asaph is doing. And this is maybe why this text was so important to me as I left my home at North Shore Alliance to go to the frozen tundra of Regina, Saskatchewan, for some seminary training. I felt led by God to go and get some, some studies in the Bible, and so I, I went off. And I met all kinds of interesting people in Saskatchewan, as you do. It's kind of near the middle of Canada, and so a lot of people from different areas were coming. I learned there was many different beliefs out there. There were some people who cheered for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there were some people who cheered for... Edmonton Oilers, and there was people who cheered for the Flames. Strange people, I know. Some are amongst us, even. <laughs> Montreal Canadiens fans, even. I learned that there was all these different beliefs, and there I was in the middle of Canada, uh, and people had these challenging, challenging my views that the Vancouver Canucks were the best team uh, in the NHL. Of course, we didn't have any data to prove it, having never won a Stanley Cup then or now, but still, I believed it. And then I saw other people outside of my hometown and they believed different things. And all of a sudden, my beliefs were challenged. Not just about NHL teams, but also about everything. I would meet all kinds of people, no longer sheltered from my parents' protection. I was out in the real world trying to understand what is, it, like, what is the good life? What is worth pursuing? And is it the same things that I was taught in youth group and at church and from my, my Christian-ish family that I grew up in? Okay, so this is, this is a, a many young adults' story, right? They leave They leave kind of the protection of parents to go and experience the world on their own. And this this is why Psalm 73 is such a great verse for preserving our faith and preserving our trust. Because Asaph had this problem where all of a sudden he was in church one day, but then he looked around and knew other people. He knew other people. He saw other nations. He saw what they were doing. And he realized that God still blesses people who do not follow him. In fact, God blesses people who curse him and want nothing to do with him. And this was a crisis of faith for him for a little while. He says it right there in verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I walked off the stage on, on a Sunday morning, or I guess it was a Saturday in those days, walked off the stage into the real world, and phew, my feet had almost slipped. I would almost walked away from my faith or slipped from what I knew was right because he started to look around. So we'll just look at two things. We're going to look at first, what was Asaph's problem? And secondly, we're going to look at what was Asaph's solution. So Asaph's problem is that he had no contentment because he was caught up in a comparison trap. He lost his contentment in who God is and what God was doing in his life because he fell into a comparison trap. Here's what Asaph notices. He's jealous of what theologians would call God's common grace. God's common grace. Jesus makes a comment. He says, the rain falls... On the just and the unjust. Now, when I was uh, you know, growing up in North Van, I, back in the days when we had rain, remember when it used to rain all the time? People complained about it in November and through till April, back in the day when we had that. Uh, I thought, well, what Jesus is saying is that you know, the rain, that annoying rain that wrecks your outside plans, right, that keeps your feet soggy, falls on the just and the unjust. But then when you think of an arid rain, uh, environment like we, like we live in today, we need rain. We realize that we need rain. And that rain, to a Middle Eastern uh, writer, is a good thing. Right? They need rain for their crops. They need rain for, to drink. They need rain for life. And so Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And Asaph says, are you sure that's, that's good? Like, Is that the best way to do it, that, that people that are far from God should even get to participate in God's blessings? Asaph did not like that. And so he was started to question, like, how could God be good? Verse 12, he says, This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. And now we can park that because it really is a perception of, of Asaph. Right? And per, our perceptions can, can wreck us. Um, my, my kids, uh, they, didn't get, they don't get to see the moon much. But we kept them out a little bit longer when we were on our trip out east. And especially because at home it was it was four hours uh, it was four hours earlier, so we were in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and we went out to a place uh, a, a, like an open area, and they got to see the moon. And because their bedtime is seven, hopefully it, we can keep it that way for many years to come. Parents that are teenagers. Does it does it stay seven? No, I'm seeing a lot of like you have no idea what's coming. Um, so, anyways. Back in the day, we would keep them in bed at 7, but they never got to see the moon that much until this day. And then my, my daughter puts her thumb up to the moon and says, Look, Dad, I can block out the moon. This huge, majestic orb that has put scientists at wonder for years. And all of a sudden, she thinks that she can block it out just because of her little thumb there. And it's true. To her, she could block out her thumb. But you know, in reality, we all know that she was not actually blocking out the moon. So it's really her perspective that was the problem. And so Asaph's perspective is off. His problem is that he starts to think that he can do things for God and that he deserves things, and that he looks at other people and says, oh, they must be carefree, they must be you know, um, these terrible people, and all of a sudden uh, he's saying, How could, why would God bless them? What about me? Because I try to do good things. To which if I'm God, I'm going to have a conversation with Asaph and be like, Asaph, you seem to think that these things that you do, whether it be your church attendance or you're serving or you're you know, your in ministry, you're your leading in the band, you seem to think that you're doing all these things to get something. He says, I thought that you were getting, I thought you were doing those things for me. But it turns out you were doing those things for something else. You know, he, he maybe got up and he played the strings. We had a beautiful violin. We had guitar. These are stringed instruments. And and as Asaph probably played some instruments with strings as well, it turns out that those weren't the only strings that Asaph was playing at the time. He also had some strings attached to his songs, to his worship, to his devotion to God. Those strings attached were, I will sing, I will lead, I will serve, as long as you make my life just a little bit better. It's not often when we get caught up in the comparison trap ourselves. that We don't wish ill on people. We don't, we, we don't see them in a home and we don't hope that they have no home. We don't see them in their pictures and wish I wish their kids were uglier. We don't see them in their vehicles and say, I hope that vehicle breaks down. No, we just have a problem with it being just a little better than ours, right? I don't wish ill on them. I just wish myself to be a little bit better. I want my grass to be just a little greener. I want my car to be a little newer. I want my uh, family to be a little nicer, Who know, prettier, whatever it may be, funner. I want my vacations to be more luxurious. I don't want them to not go on vacation. I just want mine to be a little bit better. And it's when they're not, and our perception is that they must be so much better, then what am I doing all this for? Why am I doing this? This is the verse that that gets me. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. So there's the strings. There's the confession of the fact that there was worship to God with strings attached. Devotion to God under conditions. I will do this for you as long as you give me the life that I want, the life that's just a little better than others. So if I'm God, I'm like completely offended by this because I'm thinking they're saying, I was listening to you to share all these things of what you were going to do. I heard those prayers. you know. I saw what you were, how you were leading, and I thought you were doing that for me. But it turns out that you think it's all vanity because I haven't given you the charmed life that you think that you want. For many of us who are raised in the church who start looking around and realizing that some of our friends who may be far from God uh, are, are enjoying some sort of charmed life that we would have wanted for ourselves, and then all of a sudden we turn and we start to, to curse God, saying, how could you be good if, if uh, this is the life that I have, and you've given this life to other people that's far better than I? Was it not in vain that I served you as a young age? Was it in vain that I served you today? Is it in vain that I give, that I do all these things? We are not that different from Asaph. So that's Asaph's problem. He's got a severe brokenness that's um, that's causing him to lose his contentment while being caught up in the comparison trap. I mean, I don't know if this applies to anybody, so we could just stop now and and have some great coffee, or do we want to figure out what Asaph's solution is? Is this like a 3,000-year-old story that doesn't apply to us anymore, or should we figure out what the solution is? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe it was just me that this text got me through my 20s and 30s, and now is helping me today. Because maybe it doesn't apply to anyone else, but I think it does. And so let's go here for the two of us that want it. We're going to look at As. <laughs> we're going to look at ASAP's solution. If perspective was his problem, then maybe perspective is his solution. Anyone who is. Uh, a parent of, of children who have been sent them off to college, or maybe you're preparing to send your kids off to college one day, you'll, uh, you'll be taken aback by this story, I think. This is a letter that was penned by a daughter who was uh, just starting her freshman year, and she wanted to write back to her parents to say how things have been going now that they sent their precious daughter off to university to some foreign land. She comes back with this email. Dear Dad, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to write. There's much I need to tell you. Things have been happening so fast that I didn't have a chance to keep in touch, but I hope you're sitting down as you read this update. I want you to know that I'm healing nicely after the fall. I broke my hip after jumping out of my dorm when it was on fire one night. Thankfully, the gas attendant working across the street drove me to the hospital, and he stayed with me there. Oh, Dad, he was so sweet and so romantic, I started dating him right away. (laughs) To save money on rent, I moved in with him. He doesn't have a lot of money now, but he works really hard and has some big dreams for making his band big one day. I look forward to him meeting our family once the baby arrives. We want to do our young family right, and so we are willing to get married in the summer. I'm sure you will show him the same love and, same love and tolerance that, you're, that you and mom always taught me to show others, as he is of a different race and religion. But dad, there's one other thing that I probably should tell you. There was no fire, no hospital, no gasoline attendant. No baby and no wedding, but it looks like I'm going to fail biology this term. And I thought you could use some perspective. <laughs> perspective is seeing the same thing from a different angle. Just like my daughter when she tried to block out the thumb, block out the moon with her thumb. If you look at the moon, look at her from the moon's perspective. That's a whole different way of looking at things. That's what Asaf realizes that in the big picture. His opinion doesn't really matter, and his perspective needs to change from me at the center of the world to a, a more uh, theistic center uh, world, which means God is at the center of everything, and he needed a new perspective. His first perspective was broken. His new perspective was more aligned with how things actually are, and look at where the turning point happened. For those of you who are in church today on an August-long weekend, what a great idea for having your perspective aligned. Verse 16 of Psalm 73 says this When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. He went to church. He went to church, and at church, he realized the truths about how the universe actually is that there is a God, and that this is a God of loving of all of His creation. And even though His creation wanders from Him, and gets so involved in his gifts that they forget to thank the giver, he continues to pursue them. And he continues to be with all of those and offer himself to us. But he also realized that there is a consequence for living your entire life, breathing all God's air, using up all of his gifts, and pushing him aside, that there is a road to hell, and that many are on it, and it is paved with a fine underfoot. It's comfortable to go that way. And this is what Asaph realized, that you can have all the toys and at the end miss the very reason that you were created by your God, to know him and to enjoy him and to thank him for the everyday gifts that he gives you, that all of us were made for that content, to have that contentment, and we will never be content when we are far from the God who made us. So you can live your whole life, you can live your whole life enjoying God's blessings and yet never thanking God, and that is the final uh, destiny is that there is a place called hell, uh, and that's what God, where God has reserved for people that do not know Him and do not thank Him and do not want anything to do with Him. And Asaph had to realize that that he aligned himself with the church. Uh, the message of the church is that people, all of us, are far from God, and that we all need help and we all need to know the truth. And the truth comes from knowing Him. Now this is an Old Testament passage, and so we know what that that uh, God sent Jesus to come to us and to teach us and. Asaph's problem was my problem and it's your problem and it's Squamish's problem and it's Abbotsford's problem where I come from is that we have this sin problem that cuts us off from God whether you're in church or not in church. Wherever you are, we need help. We need the proper perspective because we'll make our lives about ourselves unless there's a miracle in our hearts. And that miracle is that Jesus comes and he changes our hearts and he gives us a new perspective and a new reason to live. And our new hearts should be thankful instead of always demanding what is in it for me. So even Asaph, even though he was in church, like me, he grew up in church, and yet he still did things for the wrong reasons. So those who are in church need Jesus, and those who are outside of church need Jesus. They need that perspective of that we are fallen and we need help. We are si- we, sinners, we need a Savior. And this is what Asaph started to realize, that there was a problem with him, not with God. Look at this, verse 21 when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This is the sign of a heart that is repentant. Of it's turning away. I used to shake my fist at God, and then I realized that I was the problem. He was less than human. He was less than what he was made to. He said, I was like a brute beast before you. But how does God respond to those who, of us who realize that you know, we've blown it, that we've, we've been blessed by God, so much. We are Western-educated, living in a beautiful place within, in one of the safest times in a, in a wonderful country. We've been given all these blessings from God, and yet our hearts are still far from Him. How does God react to a, of someone who's made that change and say, Actually, I'm really sorry. I was, I was a, like a brute beast before you. Verse 23 is this wonderful moment to show us the heart of God to people who realize that they've spent their whole lives missing the mark. They've had the wrong perspective. They thought it was about them. They realize it's about him. What's God's perspective? Does he just shun them? Does he keep them away? No, he sa- it says this. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. God's response to his troubled leader, to Saf, who's caught in the com- uh, comparison trap, is, is kindness. See God's love for him. See God's love for you. See God's care for Asaph as he figured out that he got it wrong. See God's care for you. And then Asaph responds to close out the psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. This Psalm 73 is a story of a transformed person. He was doing all things right publicly, but his heart was far from God, and it almost slipped. And he started, he was looking around, and he was envying what other people were getting and what they were doing, and he said, what about me and having a pity party, until he walked into church and realized the truth. He learned the truth, and the truth was this, that God is the only thing that matters in life. And if we have him, then we have everything. What else do we need? There was a missionary named David Livingston. He's, he prayed a similar prayer to what Asaph's praying at the end. He said this, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties but the ties that bind me to your service and your heart. This is the prayer not of a person who's demanding their rights, of demanding all the things that they want, of comparing themselves to their home and their other people's families on on social media. This is the prayer of a heart that is um, devoted to one thing, and that is God. So let's review quickly. What is Asaph's problem? He had no contentment caught up in the comparison trap. But Asaph's solution was this, that he learned the truth with a change in perspective, that when you have God, you have everything, and you need nothing else. So let me ask you, are you so busy chasing after what everyone else has that you miss the joys that God has for you, the daily joys of being satisfied in Him? Let me ask that one more time. Are you so busy chasing after what everyone else has that you miss the joys of being with God and satisfied in Him? If you're like me, then this psalm is going to go with you for life. It carried me through my 20s, my 30s, now into my 40s, and it will go on because I need this reminder daily. When I go out of these doors, it will be every pressure, every force at work trying to get me distracted, trying to get me chasing other things other than God. I need a constant realignment of my priorities, of the truth, and that proper perspective. So what are three ways that we can do it? There's many ways. I'm just going to pick three. The first one is to just watch out for the comparison trap. Because you literally turn on your phones or walk outside or be at a coffee shop with someone, maybe even this coffee shop or maybe somewhere else, You'll be looking at other people, hearing about other people's vacations, hearing about other people's summers, and all of a sudden the comparisons are going to start kicking in. You have to be aware of it. That's the first step. But secondly, you need to have a source, a constant input of source, of truth in your life. For Asaph, that was church. That's a great place to start. Church is a wonderful place where we remind ourselves, our families, our friends, and each other of what is important. That we are saying that this is a valuable community to be a part of. I see a lot of my friends that, are, that have kids like me, or maybe even some with older kids, and they're wondering, how do I pass on my values to my kids? And their values, if you ask them, they say, well, we're a Christian family. We want to honor God in our lives. We want to love Jesus. And I want my kids to experience that. And I want them to experience the community that I had growing up in a Christian community. I say, okay, those are great values, but what other values do you have? What other things are important to you? Because those are great too. And you are probably going to pass on your values to your kids. But you might have some values that have snuck in. See, my dad was a big hockey fan. It turns out I got to play hockey growing up. He was a big Vancouver Canucks fan. I'm still a Vancouver Canucks fan. Long-suffering, but still in it. He passed on those values to me. And so as parents, we're often passing on values to our kids successfully. But the problem is that when those Christian values start to slide into five and six and maybe seventh on the list, now all of a sudden there's a crisis because our kids will probably grab our first couple of values, but maybe not the fifth and the sixth and the seventh one. And this is where it starts to get interesting. How are we going to pass on? If your Christian values are first in your life, your kids will know it and they will find out because you will be in places where those values get to be expressed, like church. So I know as a, a, a father of three how easy it is to skip church. And maybe I'm preaching in the choir on a long weekend when there's a parade going by to talk about the importance of church, but make it a priority, that it's so much easier to, to, to skip it, but this is the place where we realign ourselves to what is truth and what matters, and we tell each other, just by our presence of being here, of what is important and what is true and what is valuable. And thirdly, I would just say this, keep your eyes on Jesus and his goodness to you. There are always moments in our lives where we can realign, where we find ourselves wandering but we keep our eyes on Jesus. One of the songs I love to sing to my kids, my kids call it Daddy's Song, but you've heard it before. It's the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I wonder if maybe one of the reasons why that song is Daddy's Song is because it got me through so much in my life. And maybe it's because it's the song of Psalm 73, which was imparted to me at an early age because I sat through a church service and I heard someone say that this is such an important testimony of somebody who endured in their faith because they had their priorities realigned after almost wandering. So maybe today this is for somebody here that needs a realignment of their priorities. And Psalm 73, Asaph's testimony, is is the correction that we need today. It's all about a change in perspective just going to give you one last story as we finish. I don't know about you, but is, does August feel like the armpit of the sports here? I don't know if there's... I mean, you guys are outdoor enthusiasts. We have climbers in the room. But in Abbotsford, we just don't have that kind of stuff that you guys have out here. And so we're relying on, on professional sports. In August, I just... I just hey, I'm not much of a CFL fan. Otherwise, I would cling to the CFL. But I needed some sports. And I'm trying to encourage my, my kids to get more involved in sports, passing on my values. And, uh, and chainsaws are also a big part of what I appreciate. <laughs> so anyways, I was telling my kids about this, uh, about that my why daddy's a Canucks fan, and I told them about the epic run of 2011. Do you remember when the Canucks almost won the Stanley Cup? They got to Game 7 against the Bruins. Do you remember that day when they were up against the Chicago Blackhawks and it was into Game 7, and we had, they'd been de- they defeated us two years prior? And Game 7, it went into overtime, and that was one of the most tense moments as a Canucks fan I've ever experienced before. I mean, every moment, every turnover, everything that happened, I was just like a mess. I remember the, like, watching the game on TV and just like, like nobody could talk to me because I was so dialed in. And, uh, and I just I, I remember that moment when Alex Burrows came in, ripped the slap shot up the wing, and he scored a goal, and what did he do? He slayed the dragon. The Canucks went on to a great run and almost won the cup for the first time. Well, that game still exists. You can go on YouTube and watch it. And I know why uh, networks like TSN or Sportsnet, why they show these old classics during uh, August. Because there's nothing else going on. This is the armpit of the sports season. And so this game was actually on, and I was, I was watching it again. I got a chance to watch Game 7. And it went into overtime, and I was like, ah, just so peaceful. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know what? There's a turnover. We got slashed. We take a penalty. We'll kill it off. No problem. There's a shot on Luongo. No problem. All of a sudden, Alex Burroughs comes down the wing. I'm like, watch this. Boom, scores the goal. We slayed the dragon again on the replay. <laughs> Two different times watching the exact same game. First time, I was a complete mess. Said things in my heart that I would never be proud of. Wouldn't you know? My mom would never want to hear, or my grandparents even. Just embarrassing the way I, I, I uh, treated sports and the, the outside world and anybody that was in the room at the time with me. Second time I watched it, I'm relaxed. I'm I'm having fun, no sweat at all. Feeling great, full of the joy of the Lord. What's the difference in the two times, the first time watching it and the second time? It was the exact same game, the exact same series of events. It's perspective. There's something about Christians that we should have perspective because we know how the outcome turns out, right? We know how it goes. We know things that are true. But we sometimes get distracted. It would be a disaster for me to watch that game with any level of anxiety or fear or comparison of what other teams get to experience or whatnot, when I, when I knew it was true, and I knew how the ending went, and that's the Christian story. We know the truth. We know how the ending goes. We know what's important. We just have to live it out every day, and that's not easy. And so we need reminders. We need reminders of church. We need reminders uh, of our time in the Bible reading ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us, and we need each other. And then we can go on together and make the kind of impact that Jesus wants for us to in our cities, in our communities. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us that, that God would take his word and he would uh, put it in our hearts. This would be a time of transformation for us and not just information. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Man, I will, where would I be without it? Certainly not standing here. I would have just been drifting all over. So I thank you that your word and your Holy Spirit, that you, use, that you use it. God, thank you for the plan of the church, that they would be a witness in in all these communities all over the world, to remind us of what is important, of what is true. And, um, and forgive us, God, for, for getting caught, in the, caught up in the comparison trap. It's, it causes us to be like a brute beast, and we are sorry. So thank you that you are kind to those who are um, repentant. Take our confession, God, and, and replace it with blessing now. Thank you for that, Jesus, you died on the cross for us, for, even though we, we miss the mark so often. You give us new, fresh start. Help us to bless our communities, to bless our families, to bless this world uh, with the good news. In your name we pray. Amen.